Hello, and welcome to the Mortgage Strategy podcast series, Support Strategy. I'm Gary Adams, Deputy Editor of Mortgage Strategy, and today I'm joined by Martin Stewart, Director of the Money Group, Anna Lee Ash, Mortgage and Protection Advisor at Location Mortgage Solutions, and Colin Payne, Associate Director at Chapelgate Private Finance. Today, we'll be discussing the similarities or not between 2008 and now, the role of house prices in an economic recovery, and first-time buyers in 2020 and beyond. Yeah, that's a big question. Thanks for coming to me first, Gary. Um, uh, as you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty contrarian, and, and you know, I, I maintain that where possible. So, I don't think, in some respects, there is any similarity between today and 2008. It's a crisis, but it's a crisis of its own making. It's completely different. Uh, what I've been saying to people recently is, in 2008, the the borrower lost confidence in the lender uh, with with the credit crunch. And this time around, I think the lender has lost confidence in the borrower. Uh, and that's because just, you know, not for a detrimental point of view, because you don't like the borrower, but they can't trust their income at the moment. They can't trust some sectors that those people may be operating in. Uh, there have been examples where businesses have, have run out of money within a matter of days rather than, than months and, 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 and years. And we've had 1.9 million people on a payment holiday <clears throat> in a very, very short period of time. So I think there's a little bit of distrust about what's actually going on out there because people signed up to a mortgage contract for 25 years and after 25 minutes, they were ringing up for a payment holiday. So I think there's a little bit of concern around that. So I think it's a completely different crisis that we're in right now. We can learn from it, but I don't think there's parallels with 2008 personally. Colin, do you think there are any parallels? Yeah, I think there are too. But look, there's not big parallels, but to me, I think you've got, you, there's a reduction in the supply of loans. So that's the only sort of similarity I can see between now and 2008. But that reduction is down to completely different reasons, as, as Martin pointed out. So look, we were in the throes of a huge financial economic crash. Banks stopped lending to each other. The banking system was on the brink of collapse. We, 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 there was no money to lend. Um, there was a credit crunch. So there was automatically a, a reduction in supply of loans. This is slightly slightly different. We, we've, we've obviously had, we've had lockdown, we've had a lack of physical valuations. We've got remote working, we've got banking employees having to obviously work from home, possibly even isolating themselves. So lenders didn't have, don't have the capacity um, to, to do what they've done previously. So again, we've, we've got a reduction in loans there. They're, they're having to reduce loan to values um, and that's having an impact on the first time buyer market. So I think there, there's a similarity in that sense, but I think that, that's, that's about it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Annalie, uh, would, you, would you agree with that? And also, I'd just like to ask you, um, I'm going to pretend I'm much younger than I actually am and, uh, and ask, <laughs> I think no one can see the top of my hair on audio, I'm, I'm glad to say. Um, I was just going to ask the, uh, the first time buyer market in 2008, um, what effect the crash had on that and whether or not you could see a repeat of what happens to first-time buyers this time around? Um, I think uh, first-time buyers 2008 
Northern Rock together mortgages, the 125% mortgages were out there, um, lots of 100% mortgages available. So from a first-time buyer's perspective, great, go out, buy your house, you could consolidate your loans and, and other bits and pieces onto a onto your together mortgage if that's what you wanted to do you didn't actually have to save up for a property um, despite what you would advise them they could still do it on an interest only basis which made it much much cheaper than than renting so i think in terms of of then the availability was was a lot more for them but obviously then the shock um of all of a sudden, those 100% mortgages being removed. Um, so if we take people looking to buy rather than the, the customers that were then had just purchased, um, that availability completely went out of the window. Um, so unless you had a, a substantial deposit and a good income, I don't think there was much opportunity for a first time buyer. Um, the only benefit to them was obviously house prices did a massive drop, which meant that they could then find a property that was a bit more affordable to them. Whereas now, you know, there's been a lot with help to buy being available, which is assisted with only a 5% deposit. Um, scarily enough, Kent Reliance have just announced uh, they're offering 100% on shared ownership with only a 25% share for people that have occasionally had credit blips in the past as well. So to a certain extent, there is still availability there for first-time buyers now. Barclays have still got their springboard mortgage available. So if they've got parents with savings, they can still purchase with a minimal deposit. So I think the difference now is there's still options. 2008, those options just disappeared completely. There wasn't anything there for them with the smaller deposits. That's how I see it. Is this something, is this something you agree with, Martin? Do you think it's a lot different for first-time buyers this time around and potentially more hopeful? I, th I, th I think we're comparing apples with pears. That's the problem. I mean, when you asked that question originally, I was trying to think, I can't remember 2008 and, and what it was like with first-time buyers. So much has happened in that 12-year period. Uh, and uh, we're all experienced brokers here. and we, you know, We're all there at the time. But... You know, I can't even remember what LTVs were available back then um, and whether it was a real, as, as Colin said, that, you know, the tide went out and the credit kind of went with it. So, um, and what we have to remember as well is that we forget that we've aged 12 years in that time, but so, so is the first time buyer. Okay, so, you know, we, there, there were kids that were coming out of, God, patronising, but there were, there were young adults coming out of university at 21 and, you know, they're, they're mid-30s now. You know, what, what are they thinking? They probably want the amount of a different relationship with property that we had. We've got the banker mum and dad now that we never had in, in 2008, certainly not quite as busy as, to, uh, as they are now. So I think, I think the demographics have changed a lot. I think attitudes have changed a lot. Um, what we see now is that the first time buying never really went away. The demand definitely is still there, but they don't come to the market with their own savings anymore. If the bank and mum and dad aren't behind them, they're probably not entering the market. Maybe help to buy slightly, slightly different. So if bank and mum and dad there, and this leads into maybe a broader conversation with equity release, Gary, in how, how much an important part that is going to play in, in the recovery game over the next few years. Colin, do, do, do you agree that equity release and the growth of it in the last 10 years could play a significant role? I, I think without a doubt, I think as, as Martin pointed out, but bank and mum and dad nowadays for a first time buyer is so very important. Um, and be that in terms of um, 
the uh, the Springboard mortgage, or just actually just physically putting down a deposit as, as a gift. Um, and we've seen an explosion in, in equity release over the years. Um, and it's it's not what it was, was it? It, it was there to provide a, a retirement income back in the day for those that didn't have the pension. Um, and now these lenders are jumping on the bandwagon. There's a lot more flexibility around it. The purpose of, of what you can do with it um, is a lot more broader. And yeah, I think, I think you'll have it won't just be parents, will it? You'll have grandparents um, releasing equity for their grandchildren to buy. So I think you'll see a lot more of that um, over, over the over the coming years. But there are mixed fortunes for first-time buyers. You've you've got parents that won't have that good fortune um, to, to be able to release equity. Um, they they must be rented, might be social rented. So there's going to be mixed fortunes for, for first-time buyers going forward in the sense that um, there will be restrictions, I think, um, over, certainly over, over the coming months and the next year or so, possibly, with regards to the impact of lenders not wanting to look at variable income. They might be looking at the self-employed a little bit more differently. So that will impact on, on certain first-time buyers without any shadow of a doubt. So if, you, if you're lucky enough to have Bank of Mum and Dad with you, equity release could, could, is, is going to be a, a big benefit to that. but. Um, I think, yeah, for first-time buyers going forward, it's going to be quite mixed. So um, I think what this is all leading to really is um, I'm interested to know what, you know, without giving away any trade secrets, uh, how you're going to approach the next few months. I know it's a a pretty tough question because no one knows what's going to happen. But what what are you thinking at the moment? You know, if some buyer comes to you and they're, they, you know, they're not quite sure what's going to happen with their income. What, what are you going to be saying? What's the conversation going to be well, like? Well, if they're not sure what's going to happen with their income and they have any concerns over it, then I would say that they really shouldn't probably be considering purchasing at this precise moment in time and waiting to find out how certain they are about their income and how comfortable they are that they could afford to maintain payments in the event that they didn't have one. So... I do think in in that respect, I mean, I've I've had first-time buyers contact me that are on furlough and they still want to go ahead and buy. And I said, well, how do you know that you're going to have a job at the end of the furlough? And they're like, oh, it'll be fine. And I think and I think that's the thing. Everybody lives in this sort of rose-tinted world that it'll all be all right once the virus has gone away. You know, they'll go back to work. But it it is going to take a time um, for things to recover and to get back to some sort of normality. So... I, I would say if, if they have concerns, wait. I, I think that's a very, very sensible approach. And I think we have to lead with uh, advice first, product second. Um, and, and right now, there's lots of people out there that will need advice. Uh, and sometimes you have to give them the answer they don't necessarily want to hear. Um, you know, we have to talk down and move away from the hype. Yes, it has been a busy June. You can't deny that. But then we've all sat on our hands and, and completed Netflix for the last three months. So there was bound to be an uptick in, in activity. Um, things were going to get busy, but the tide could very easily go back out again when, when furlough schemes begin to wind down. So you've got to be very, very pragmatic, I think, with clients and, 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 and share our experiences with them and make them realise that actually, you know, this isn't just a discretionary purchase. This, this, is a, this is a massive financial commitment that you have to undertake and you are committing it for a number of years. And just because I'm all right, Jack, it doesn't mean that everyone else is all right as well. Uh, this, is, this, 
because this, this is affecting everyone worldwide, not just in the UK. This is this is going to this is going to have repercussions for generations, for for years, in in, in many ways and shapes. So um, I think yeah, just lead with advice and just be sensible and pragmatic. And you know, people will have to move. There will be an underlying market, and I'm sure we've all experienced that. You know, the death, debt, and divorce are the three triggers for for lots of moves. That's not going to go anywhere. I would imagine divorce will probably spike as well at some point in the next three months. So, you know, just um, embrace the opportunity. But, you know, just speak, speak to people as grown, experienced, um, uh, you know, professionals that we are and explain to them that we've been here before, uh, we know what we're doing and just hold their hand. Yeah, I think the reality is, 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 is over the coming months, I don't think there's any doubt that prices will soften. It will just take three or four months for that to, to sort of feed through the system. So there is there is no bit real burning rush to be fair for first time buyers to be jumping on the ladder now. Let, let, let's, let's just take things a little bit more slowly. Let's be a little bit more sensible. And you never know, six months time, you're buying the same property for, for, for 10% less. And no one, no one in their right mind can say, say with any sort of um, guarantee for want of a better word, where prices are going to be in six months' time or a year's time. It literally is putting your finger up in the air and, and, and plucking a finger out. I'm sorry, a finger, figure out. So um, it's, it is one of those things where, yeah, I think it is it's very much advice-led. And, and I think a lot of the, the problem is, is nowadays is, is, is very, culture is very much around buy now, pay later. Um, yeah. And then I see so many people paying hundreds of pounds for, for the latest car. But there's no need for that car. It sits on the driveway and does 4,000 miles a year. It, it's, 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 it's a pointless purchase. It impacts on their borrowing. And of course, now that's moving into to, to houses and property and, and, and they want everything now. And I think as, as experienced individuals, we need to have those sorts of conversations and uh, they might not like it at that moment in time, but um, I think it can pay, it can pay dividends. So uh, on the on the subject of it possibly taking quite a while for uh, the market to firm, so to speak, uh, what role do you think house prices in the UK will have on any form of economic recovery? Because you know they make up such a huge part of the UK's economy, and that's not necessarily true for uh, a lot of other countries. That is a, that's a really interesting question, that one. Uh, and I'm not too sure what, what the answer to it is, because it's not necessarily the property, the commodity that, that adds to GDP, but it's more the confidence behind it that makes people then maybe go out and do a lot of discretionary spending and, uh, and home improvements and, and maybe, you know, the expensive car that, 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 that Colin mentioned there. So, uh, yes, there is, there is the element of GDP that, you know, when you think about how many, how many people's incomes are reliant on property, whether that's solicitor, valuer, broker, you know, removals companies, you know, they, they, a lot of people do rely on an active market, but there will always be an active market, but it's the confidence. That's the, that's the metric that is difficult to gauge. And, you know, suddenly, and don't forget, you know, have we really, when was the last time we had a, a housing crash? All right. There was, a, there was possibly uh, a six to nine month period in 2009 where uh, things were a bit rocky for those that can remember it. Uh, and then we had the funding for lending scheme come in, the base rate was slashed, and the market powered on from there. You know, you'd struggle then to go back to probably the early 90s when people remember interest rates at 15%. So we're not used to, as a, as a society, 
collapsing or falling house prices for a long sustained period of time. So it'll be interesting to see how we do adapt to that if that does happen. Yeah, I think you're right. Like you t- and, and we don't know in terms of prices, obviously once, once furlough starts to unfold over the coming months, we all know that's going to have an impact. And the, the phrase that we've missed so much over the last three or four months, that word Brexit, and had, had, this, had this pandemic not happened at all, it would have probably been roughly about this time of year, there would, there, there would have been some uncertainty creeping into the market around, okay, we'll be going to extend, extend the transition date. Where are we going to get a deal? Where are we going to go no deal? That hasn't gone away. And yes, we've got this talk of, okay, the, the transition date isn't being extended. But there will come a point that all of a sudden it will start to feed through into the market as to, could we really potentially have a no deal Brexit and, and the impact that that may have? And confidence is, yeah, it's, 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 it's so thoroughly important. It's so important. And without that, people then start to refrain to do a lot of a lot of things, buy luxuries, go on holiday. So the housing market is integral to, to people's confidence, as, as Martin said. Yeah, I agree. And I think certainly Brexit's the last thing at the moment that we need, well, certainly a no-deal Brexit on top of, of COVID. And I've always said that if that were to happen, it would have an effect on the housing market and confidence um, with people the cost of goods are going to come up the cost of food is going to go up and if people are struggling as they are today um, whether it be on reduced incomes um, potentially those that have lost their jobs um, freight forwarding companies etc struggling because they can't get goods across the borders which you know we know is a possibility um, ultimately that the whole economy is going to be impacted by that. And as I say, you know, I think as as Martin and Colin have both said, without consumer confidence, the market doesn't move. Um, and that's when you do have an impact on house prices. And of course, if that impacts, then the builders are going to stop building because they're not going to have the funds. They're not, you know, their shares are going to drop in value. Um, so they're going to put a hold on things. The cost of materials goes up. Therefore, it's not so cost effective for them to build at certain periods of time if they're only going to get x percentage back so of course going forward all of this is going to have an impact but it's how we minimize that and that's anybody's guess it's a good point it just goes to show you how impactful this covid19 has been that we have the thing that has obsessed us and dominated our life for three years it's been relegated to a a, a mere forgotten memory very, very quickly. Really, it's just goes... Yeah, absolutely. It's just, uh, and, and you're right, Colin, it hasn't gone away and it won't go away and it will, it will be here at the end of the year in some way, shape or form. So, yeah, we might nav- navigate, we might find a vaccine and great news for COVID-19 and, defer- and you know, some of the projections for the economy were maybe over-egged and maybe things might not be as bad as we thought. Great, happy news. But yes, we've still got Brexit looming. For, for, for the final question, what I'd like to do is take it from the, uh, the macro, uh, which seems to have been a bit gloomy so far, and take it down to the, take it down to the micro. I'd like to know um, each of your, your hopes for the rest of the year beyond the obvious. You know, this is, some people are saying that COVID-19 has been a great opportunity to rethink uh, how we deal with things. You know, you, you feel free to go into the land of fantasy and, and what you think might be an optimistic outcome from 
what we've gone through for the last few months. The one thing that we need to get out of the way as soon as possible, this that we can all move on, is is, is Liverpool winning the Premier League, uh, and that that won't be that, <laughs> that. Thankfully, that won't be too far away now. That'll be done in just quite soon. Once that's done, once that's done. Um, Look, what, I, I don't know. You've got to be careful with predictions. They can come back and bite you. And we have tried to. We've done some in the past, and it's been a bit of fun. But this is this is this is newfound territory for everybody. Um, I'd just like us all to move forward. And if you remember back, I mean, even the lockdown seems about ten years ago to me now. But we all collectively went into that lockdown, and we all started talking about a new society that we could build off the back of this. Uh, and how great it could be that we can care a little bit more about our common man and all those things that divided us, maybe we can use them to unite us. And that we, we lived in a very halcyon sort of, it felt like being in a bit of a Disney film in the early days, but um, I think we've quickly forgotten that now as we've come out of that. And I'm seeing division again creep into social media. Uh, and I'm quite active on Twitter and, and, so, and so is Colin. And, you know, it's getting a dark place again. It's very reminiscent of where we were maybe sort of before the election last year. So it would be nice to think, um, you're right, Liverpool win the Premier League. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, everything's OK with B... <laughs> Everything, everything's fine with BA and the wider economy. All those people on furlough get their jobs back. We sort a vaccine out, but let's not forget actually some of the good things that we did talk about briefly and then we've forgotten about rather quickly and get back to being maybe just healing society would be quite nice off the back of this. I'd, I'd agree with all those points, to be fair. Um, and to me, it's really just, just, just avoiding uncertainty. There's just nothing worse than uncertainty. Um, to, to just create lack of confidence in the market. Um, it would be lovely that um, we could get out of this global pandemic um, and get into a new era, new era of global trade and have a free trade agreement with the EU. Um, I've got reservations whether this government can actually uh, lead us onto this so-called promised land, um, but it is what it is. Um, but yes, uncertainty, just just avoiding that. And I think from from a personal perspective, the last few weeks has opened your eyes somewhat in terms of potentially how uh, one goes about their day-to-day -day working. And uh, it's been lovely to have a much better work-life balance and spend more time at home with the kids. And I don't think I've worked any less. I think I've been as productive, if not more productive in certain respects. Um, I've even done some weekend working, and that's, uh, that's, that's very unlike me. So um, you're allowed, you've got more sort of freedom with what, more freedom with what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and, and, that, and that's been great. And, uh, and let's avoid, let, let's avoid chlorinated chicken, yeah? That, that, that'll, be, that'll be lovely to finish, uh, finish the year off with. And I've spoken to a number of clients over the past three months, as we all have, and a lot of them have said to me they didn't realise how hard they were working. They just didn't realise until they stopped and how refreshing it was. The, people are saying they're fitter now, they're happier now. You know, so yeah, you're right. That treadmill was very, very fast and we didn't realise it. Staff can be trusted and, um, and they've been very productive and in some cases possibly more productive because they have that work-life balance and they're enjoying life a lot more. I think for us as well, the, the positive of it actually is that everybody's been using Zoom, they've been using Skype, um, so whereas before, you know, you might have had difficulties. I work from home predominantly anyway. I, I have done for 20 odd years. so I'm quite used to it. Um, but I normally go out and see people 
um so i'll go and see them at home and you know what happens you go out to see them they haven't got all their documents the dogs start barking like mine just did um <laughs> you know uh, the kids are there trying to do bits and pieces but of course and you say to them well what about skype what about zoom and they were like i don't know how to use that whereas now actually everybody does know how to use that and so you can start doing a lot more sort of online consults and, and things like that, freeing up more time for us to be able to speak to more clients um, and making it easier for, for speaking to people outside of normal working hours as well. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm at home. My laptop is on all the time. My emails come through all the time. Um, so sometimes it is a bit frustrating when somebody specifically says, can you come and see me at half past seven at night once I've put little Johnny to bed because I've been at work all day and you sit there and you think well, well I've been at work all day as well um, so yes yeah, so now I think the technology actually for me that that's a bonus a big thank you to our guests for taking time to talk to us today and thanks to all our listeners for tuning in to the mortgage strategy support strategy podcast catch you next time